When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top 10 for immersive art that's like... Whoa. And... Not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer. It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you're dead. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. He's Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes as the final game of week three in the NFL has arrived. It's game day. Giants-Cowboys Monday Night Football. We'll set the stage for that, go over the injury report, and give some takeaways from a very busy Sunday in the National Football League. Multiple ways to interact with us here on the program. Option A, 201-939-4513. Option B, hashtag Giants Chat. As a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app. Podcast platforms everywhere and at Giants.com slash podcast. Paul, I know you're very emotional. They announced earlier today that the Pro Bowl is not going to take its normal form moving forward. It will be a week-long skills competition and flag football. So I thought there's no better place to begin today's program than getting your hot take on those developments. You know, Lance, it was inevitable. Let's not kid ourselves. You know, Commissioner Goodell has been talking about trying to either revamp or do away with the Pro Bowl for several years. So now that this announcement came out, uh, the Associated Press broke that story earlier this morning. I was like, all right, well, that's kind of what we've been expecting for a while now. And to be frank with you, the Pro Bowl 20, 30 years ago wasn't a bad game to watch, but it deteriorated year by year by year by year. And you know why? Because the money got so big. When players are making bigger and bigger and bigger contracts and they're their own corporations and businesses, you can't afford to have guys going out there risking multi, 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 multi-million dollar contracts getting hurt in the Pro Bowl. Back in the day, it was a source of pride. It was like the baseball all-star game where guys really wanted to beat the other league. There was a level of competition involved. But when money overtakes everything, it's not that way anymore. Well, and also it's a practical move because it got to the point for some of the factors you mentioned that the game was non-competitive. Correct. So why not try to reinvent it? Flag football is a fun way to have guys still be competitive, but they know they're not going to go out there and hurt themselves. And you add to the skills competition, which I thought added a little bit of creativity and flair. They had a dodgeball competition the other year. So no reason why you can't add a few more days Mm -hmm. to that, building up to a flag football game. And you keep the all-star feel 
but you don't put the pressure on the players to having to put on a normal show via the practicality of football. Right, and, and let's I not kid ourselves. this is a middle ground. The, the last several years, it was really a pseudo-flag football game anyway. Essentially, 100%. Yeah. So now you're just basically making it a formal flag exactly. football game. Exactly, exactly. So, so. And they're going to do it in Vegas, right, from what I understand? Correct, yep. So, you know, the... the uh, the, um, the families and the friends of, of all these uh, Pro Bowl selections are still going to be able to go to an entertainment venue and have themselves, you know, a fun time. And so, I, I, quite frankly, I think you'll have fewer guys opt out I of agree. this, right? Well, because there's less risk of injury now. Exactly. So why wouldn't you want to play? Right. I mean, and listen, and if and you and have and a legitimate you know, injury, I could see, obviously, you're not going to play. But sure. if you're we're sort of on the fence the end of the season, you're tired, you're worn down, you don't want to hit anybody anymore. All right, well, now we're just playing flag football. Why not have some fun? There you go. I hope yeah. there's a lot of hitting tonight. Well, I think that they're allowed to play normal football tonight from what I hear, given the fact that this game is slightly more important than what's on the line in terms of the Pro Bowl. And let's get right into that. Then I want to discuss some of the takeaways from week number three. But let's start with the injury report because the injury report for this Giants-Cowboys game was not released until after we had our Friday show because obviously they're a day behind everybody else. And no major surprises, but... Kadarius Toney, who was clearly a late addition to the injury report this week, now all of a sudden downgraded to doubtful. I would say highly unlikely that he is going to play. And we knew Wondell Robinson was out already because he didn't practice all week with the knee injury. So Tony is probably the newest development, the hamstring injury. He was limited on Thursday. He did not practice on Friday and Saturday. And Leonard Williams, who did not practice all week, is also, like Tony listed, is doubtful. But that was anticipated, Paul, because we knew he left the previous game against Carolina with that knee injury. Exactly. I, I You know, here's the thing about Tony, and I understand that there's a lot of frustration amongst the fans. Look, they know how dynamic and explosive he can be. We've seen it. And so everybody wants to see him out there. So they're disgusted and frustrated. Oh, we hear he's not practicing. We hear he's not doing this. Then he's not going to be in the game, blah, blah. Look, the Giants, and we've told people this for years, the medical staff will determine if the player is cleared or not. Now, I don't know if they've cleared him and he is asking out of practice because he doesn't feel right or if the medical staff has said, hey, coach, He's got this and that. Sorry, he can't go. That, to me, are two totally different stories that require two totally different reactions. And that's why I'm a little bit um, disappointed at the automatic assumption based on frustration that everybody's just thinking that this guy is being a half-ass or dogging it. Well, what if, what if it's the medical staff that's holding him out? and it has nothing to do with him at all, then it's not on him. Leave the guy alone. The other thing with injuries is it's fluid. Sometimes you wake up one day, you feel great if you're dealing with a hamstring, and then the next day you run around a little bit, you wake up, all of a sudden you feel 10 times worse. 
I think that's maybe where the frustration comes from, Paul. The fact that early in the week coming out of the last game, it didn't look like he was going to have this issue because he wasn't necessarily on the injury report. Then all of a sudden, Thursday comes along. He pops up as limited. Then Friday, remember, they didn't even practice. They had a walkthrough. So right. that was an estimation of participation, yet they still listed him as not practicing. And then we got official word on Saturday. So I think maybe that's where the frustration comes through the fans' lens. The fact that, well, why wasn't this an issue earlier in the week? Now all of a sudden it pops up. My response is, yes, it could be the medical team notices something. They want to hold him back. Or it could simply be he felt fine on Tuesday and Wednesday. Thursday, something flared up, and then Friday came back, and it was all of a sudden now a more prevalent issue. That could very well play out. I don't want to get off topic, but Justin Herbert, for example, who did play yesterday, yes. he's dealing right with the rib cartilage fracture. With an injury like that, Paul, you could get the green light from the medical team one day. You wake mm -hmm. up on game day, you feel 10 times worse. They can only give you so many shots to make you get through a game. So, you know, situations like that, I think fluidity is the best way to describe it because it does change over the course of 24 hours. Look, you remember when Beckham was a rookie, right? Yeah. And the frustration over not being able to get him on the field. And then finally he did get on the field and, and you know, made a ton of big plays for the Giants while he was here. So, again, I, I don't know and we're not going to know whether it was the medical staff or Tony who have, who have uh, you know, held him out in these situations. But I just want to caution people, don't assume the worst when there are other possibilities that could be at play. Now, one thing I will say before you get to the rest of the injury list, Lance, and I'm going to tell people flat out, I'm being totally um, transparent here, you're supposed to activate your two practice squad promotions by 4 p.m. Eastern time the day before the kickoff. To my knowledge, the Giants did not activate any of their practice squad players yesterday. Paul, I believe, let me just jump in, for Monday night games, I believe it's the day of the game Is it? have until. Yes, I think it's different. So I think they have 4 p.m. Eastern today to make those moves. That's why we haven't heard anything. Well, then I stand corrected, and that's why I said I'm being transparent because, honestly, I did not know of that tweak to the rule. And so I'm saying to myself, hmm, no practice squad activations at all which would indicate that they don't have any sketchy injury situations. They think they're a full go. But if you're correct about the 4 o'clock on Monday, well, we've still got a few hours then to see if somebody gets called up. Yeah, I'm pretty sure for Monday night games it comes down to the day of. Because you're right, Saturday, 4 p.m. Eastern, is the deadline for the Sunday yes. games. But for the Monday games, they give them a little bit more leeway in case something, I think, pops up last second. Thursday, so too? Thursday, I believe, I don't know for certainty what Thursday is about. I'm not sure whether it's Wednesday by 4 or the day of. I would say probably it's Wednesday of, but I'm talking off the top of my head. I, let me look that up, see if I can get confirmation yeah, on that. But you know, the Lance, Monday, I'm pretty sure it's 4 p.m. Eastern, the day of the game. I confess the CBA is just too long and too detailed for me to go well, through. Well, there's different <laughs> exceptions to different game days. That's the exactly. problem. Exactly. Yeah. So, um Anyway, I just I just thought that I would throw it out there. At the very least, I was curious when I didn't see anybody uh, get promoted. But, again, we may be looking for that over the course of the next three hours then. 
Well, we could talk about it briefly. It's relevant when you look at the injury report, and I'll go over the rest of the group. Tony and Leonard Williams, clearly the two doubtful players of note. Justin Lane, Nick McLeod, Aaron Robinson, Wondell Robinson already ruled out, but none of those players practiced all week, so that wasn't alarming. And then Aziz Ojolari and Kayvon Thibodeau are questionable. Keep in mind, they were doubtful leading into each of the first two games, Mm -hmm. and both players seem to be very optimistic. All signs are trending in the direction of they will be making their season debuts. Thibodeau, his regular season NFL debut since Ojolari played last season. So that's encouraging. But when you take into consideration these injuries, Aaron Robinson's still out. So the need for Fabian Morrow is still there. And then you could argue with Ojolari and Thibodeau back in the mix. I don't know necessarily if a guy like Roche becomes necessary because once again, you're getting more manpower. So do you go in the direction of a safety with Tony Jefferson, do you go in the direction of an additional wide receiver? You know, maybe they could go in different directions. But I would think corner, to me, is the number one priority of all of those spots. Well, the the other thing, too, in addition to the corner, which I agree, I, I would be shocked if they did not use an activation on a corner. Uh, you have to wonder, with Leonard Williams in all likelihood being put down by the doctors, would Ryder Anderson potentially Possible. be an activation? Sure. And as far as Tony Jefferson, the tough part about him right now, he comes up from the Ravens during the offseason. They, they, they decide to sign him to the practice squad, and we know that he's a wink guy. He's already been activated twice in two weeks. Lance, I know you know this rule. You only get three activations yep. for the season, and they've already used two on Jefferson. Now, <laughs> if they use a third one tonight – well, now he's he's in a real sticky situation because you're not going to be able to to bring him up without without going through the procedures, the waivers, and everything else. And and quite frankly, um, you're going to have to sign him to the 53 if you activate him again. But isn't that the game plan? I think when they brought him in to ultimately put him on the 53, Paul. I, well, I think that was the plan when Belton was still hurting. Now that Belton's back and has made a quick recovery and has actually shown that he's able to quickly grasp the defense and play a bunch of snaps, is it possible that Belton actually takes snaps that they might have thought they were going to need for Jefferson? Possible. Yeah, all of these things I think are in play. Here's another name as I'm perusing the practice squad. What about elevating? I know he's barely been here yet with Jalen Smith. Jalen Smith. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Because remember, Wink has taken his game plan and it's evolved over the first two weeks of the season. We saw more linebackers in coverage in week one against Tennessee. And obviously, Dontrell Hilliard had a field day. Last week, it was more of the secondary players. Do you look at Jalen Smith as somebody that you could toy with? Do you elevate him to maybe give you a better option at linebacker? Perhaps, but see, here's the difference, Paul, between him and Tony Jefferson. Jefferson wasn't here very long, but has familiarity with the scheme in what Wink wants him to do on a quick turnaround. Jalen Smith has no familiarity with Wink's scheme. So it's a little bit different in terms of the timeline in comparison to what they did with Jefferson. Timeline is different, but the positional need is also different because you do have Belton back and showing that he can play. Well, the interior linebacker spot, to be frank with you, Lance, and I'm not trying to disrespect anybody who's on this team, but they don't have a bona fide fill the gaps, stuff the hole, attack the line of scrimmage inside linebacker. Crowder is more of an athletic inside linebacker. 
Uh, Calitro is that type of backer that I'm talking about, but he's been with 10 organizations over the course of his career, and I do think he's viewed more as a special teams guy or perhaps a very deep depth guy. Um, if you're going to ask a Jalen Smith, let's say, to only play 20 snaps in run-stopping situations and just attack downhill, read the gap and fill the gap and attack downhill, just go forward and get between the tackles and stuff and clog the run, you could clearly see a use for him against a Pollard and an Ezekiel Elliott tonight. I would not, I would not be surprised if they decided to go that route, feeling that those 20 snaps or whatever it is that he might play could be valuable. And he also is familiar with some of the Cowboys personnel, given the fact that he was on the roster. So mm-hmm. maybe the thinking also involves that. One other name I want to throw out, you brought up Ryder Anderson with Leonard Williams out. Henry Mondo, I wouldn't overlook, who they brought in from the Pittsburgh Steelers, veteran defensive lineman. If, one again, the priority is to stop the run, he would, to me, fit right in there as an extra big body up front. They could very well activate him for the first time this season. See, now you know why I've been puzzled all morning trying to figure this out. When I was thinking, like, oh, my God, they didn't activate any guys. Why didn't they get a promotion? So now you solved that part of the question for me. It's coming, I promise. But we haven't haven't solved who the guys are going to be. Well, and that's why it makes it a little bit interesting because they could go in different directions due to other injuries and other additions to the roster. Hey, it's good to have options, right? It's better to at least think about who you want to bring up. And that really brings us into the discussion about this matchup. And you were talking about Zeke and Tony Pollard. Pollard hasn't had his breakout game, I would say, yet this season. I know he had the big 40-plus yard play last week, but... There was a lot of talk that they were going to try to showcase him a little bit more this season. And in fairness, the snap count, the level of production, I should say, more so than the snap count, has been almost 50-50. If you look at the touches, Zeke's had 26, Pollard's had 21. So it's not like Pollard's not getting opportunities. It's just he hasn't had that big, multi-breakaway speed type of game. And we've seen what he could do on special teams. We've seen what he could do if you get him out in open space. I'm wondering... Now that maybe Cooper Rush a little bit more comfortable having one full start under his belt, do they look to test the boundaries of the Giants' defense? And to your point, the linebacking crew considering, once again, Dontrell Hilliard had some success. Depending on the personnel that the Giants utilize, do the Cowboys say, well, let's see if they can handle Tony Pollard? That, to me, is going to be something to watch tonight. Well, and this is why the guessing game begins this afternoon. It doesn't even begin tonight. It begins this afternoon because depending upon what the Giants believe the Cowboys will have in their game plan, that could tilt the scales in one way or another as to who they decide to dress. I mean, it's we've absolutely seen, going to. We've, yeah. Look, Lance, we've seen, and, and I've talked to some retired coaches and scouts this week specifically about what I've seen in the first two weeks of Giants play, and it's been universally agreed Wake Martindale has played basically two entirely different styles and schemes of defense in the first two games of the season. What style of defense is he going to come up with in week number three? And we can sit here for the next three hours and say, well, that depends on what he thinks the Cowboys' style of offense is going to do. And so this becomes a real chess match even before the kickoff actually takes place. 
Well, and also if you look at the Carolina personnel in comparison to Tennessee, and then you throw Dallas in as a means of comparison, Paul, my thinking is Derrick Henry slash Dontrell Hilliard is more of a mirror to Zeke and Tony Pollard as opposed to Carolina, which essentially uses Christian McCaffrey. I know they have Chuba Hubbard and they have Deontay Foreman, but those guys are complimentary backs that maybe get a carrier to every game. With Dallas and Tennessee, it's more of a situation where you're going to involve both running backs to a certain degree, and probably Dallas more so than Tennessee. So do you say to yourself, okay, some things didn't work out with the linebackers in week one. I want to be better prepared, and therefore he has guys that are more suitable for coverage with respect to Pollard coming out of the backfield. And that goes against the gut of every old-school football guy who says you've got to stop the run first. And and it also goes against what we've seen with Dallas, uh, a, a team with Chaz relied more heavily on their two running backs and basically allowed um, um, the quarterback. Uh, um, why am I going blank on the quarterback? Cooper Rush you're talking Cooper about? Cooper Rush. Yes. <laughs> they have told Cooper Rush – to play a very safe and conservative game. He branched out a little bit as the game progressed, but I'm with you. They weren't taking a lot of chances early in the game. Yeah. So, you know, that's really what it comes down to if you're the Giants. Yes, I agree with you. There are definitely ways they could go, and God bless the Giants for having enough of versatile options and having enough depth on this team to where they've got guys who can play the different styles that they may face. My God, it's been years, and I'm talking years, since you could say that as a Giants person. But they, they've got that now, finally where they can try to mix and match some different personnel schemes and different combinations. But the issue with Dallas is you honestly have to play a guessing game because they could very easily go into this game thinking they need to run for 150 yards and play conservatively and try to make this a slog-it-in-the-mud kind of affair. Or, or they could, with some of the weaponry that they've got, try to turn the game into a little bit more of a speed game and airing the ball out just a bit. They could do that, which makes this such an intriguing game to handicap because uh, so many – here's the problem, Lance. If you overplay and overscheme for one area, you very easily could get burned by the other. That's sure. the one problem when you don't have a spectacular – starting lineup on both sides of the ball that can basically play any scheme you need, right? Because you've got to substitute and you've got to make personnel combinations, you know, rotate them because of the specific kinds of schemes you want. That's the downside to this. But it's better at least having those things than having a team that says, oh, my God, if they do this or that, we've got no answers for it. It doesn't allow for as much chemistry week to week if you're constantly changing personnel. I think that's the larger point that you were hitting on, and you still have a relatively young roster. Now, mm -hmm. let's expand on your point about the Cowboys' personnel because here's an interesting development. Todd Archer, who we actually spoke to, who covers the Cowboys for ESPN on the latest Giants Huddle podcast. It's a game preview podcast. You can still check it out on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. Paul and I, we broke down the Cowboys. Offense, defense, special teams with Todd. He he is now reporting, this went up about 20 minutes ago, that Michael Gallup will actually be inactive tonight. 
They are not going to elevate him to the active roster after he had been sidelined for the first two games, still working his way back from the torn ACL. He actually got in a full practice at the end of the week, but Todd Archer of ESPN is reporting the Cowboys are going to wait another week. He was listed as questionable. He's gone through two full padded practices. He will not be in uniform tonight. So that means that C.D. Lamb, as well as Noah Brown, are going to be their top two wide receivers. And as far as Dalton Schultz is concerned, who also is listed as questionable with the right knee injury, he's going to test it in early warm-ups to see whether or not he could play. So Schultz has a legitimate shot, but Gallup, which I'm a little bit surprised, Paul, it seemed as if everything was trending in the right direction, but apparently they want to get him more work with pads on before they give him the green light to play. Once again, Dallas has operated their first two games with this personnel grouping, but what I'm saying is if you don't have Gallup, and maybe you were thinking Gallup's presence could open things up a little bit more, that to me is where maybe Tony Pollard and the additional tight ends come more into play today. Well, and that's why the Dalton Schultz thing becomes a very important factor too. We know how Dallas tight ends have destroyed the Giants since the early 70s. I mean, that's just the nature of the beast with these two teams. You didn't even have to go that far back. Oh, I could go that far back, and that's the way it's been, man. Trust me. So, you know, yes, this this is important. And so I would be inclined to think Dallas will go heavy run and not do a ton of opening things up with the passing game. That's probably the way that I think they'll play it. But I just don't know. Uh, Micah Parsons, by the way, Tom Pelissero, uh, you know, uh, of uh, of NFL Network has come back and, and also said that Parsons, who was sick all week and barely practiced, he is going to play tonight. Uh, God Which knows was expected. What, right. God knows what his stamina will be. All the more reason why I would absolutely bludgeon him and run right at him and beat him up and pulverize him with as much beef and force as I possibly could early in this game, take whatever energy he's got out of him by halftime. I mean, just pound him and see uh, see what that does to the Dallas defense. That would certainly be a strategic part uh, that I would employ based on this information. Two other things I want to throw out before we open up the lines because I'm still reading through Todd Archer's report. There's a lot of developments with respect to the Cowboys. Since Gallup is not going to play, their rookie, their third-round pick, Jalen Tolbert, who could stretch the field, he'll be active for the first time this season. So once again, does that maybe give them an opportunity to go a little bit down the field because of what they bring to the table with Tolbert? Another thing to keep in mind. The other thing is with respect to their offensive line. They're elevating Jason Peters to the 53-man roster, and he will be active for the first time tonight. The veteran offensive lineman, formerly the Eagles, was on the Bears last season. They plan to give him some opportunity. Now, whether or not he's in for every snap remains to be seen, but it seems as if the plan is going to be maybe they will alternate him and Matt Farniak at left guard next to Tyler Smith because Tyler Smith, the rookie, has done a really nice job at left tackle. So the plan is they're not going to have Peters replace Smith and then Smith move back to the interior. They want to leave Tyler Smith out at left tackle, but it could be more of Peters and Farniok testing the waters at left guard tonight against the Giants' defensive front. So there are some changes and some new developments that the Giants are going to have to be aware of, meaning personnel that had not been on film within the Cowboys' scheme Mm -hmm. over the first two weeks. Yeah, I, I absolutely think that this adds a layer of intrigue. And Tolbert, to me, you know how I love skyscrapers, Lance. Yep. Okay. You're talking about a six foot three receiver who runs in the four fours. 
I mean, he was a big play oh, yeah. receiver when he was at South Alabama. A big play receiver. And let me emphasize that twice over. Uh, so do not sleep on him. I don't know exactly what his comfort is in this offense, but I just know that when he was playing in college, uh, he made plays. Oh, he and can plenty take the top of off the ball. Yeah. Plenty Absolutely. of them. So, um, yeah, I, I, I would – I won't. I would only say I would be very wary of him, if if all of a sudden you see him out there, do not fall asleep on that guy. And he's had at least a few weeks to get more and more comfortable with the offense because he hasn't been hurt. It's just the fact that it was a numbers game. They decided that they didn't want to elevate him, and maybe it was to perhaps wait till divisional play to showcase something because they didn't want him on film. Who knows? Teams play mind games. We're not naive, but that's the layout of the land in terms of the Giants and the Cowboys, their personnel grouping, some of their developments on that front. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. A few reminders before we open up the lines. Make sure that you are at MetLife Stadium tonight. September 26th, the Giants are going to host the Cowboys Monday Night Football. A special Ring of Honor ceremony is going to take place during halftime. Limited individual and group tickets are available. You can visit Giants.com slash tickets to secure your seat today. So if you waited till the last second, who knows? Maybe you could do a little bit of heavy lifting to get to MetLife Stadium tonight. Also, the Giants' official connected TV streaming app, which is Giants TV, brings original video content and game highlights on demand and direct to Big Blue fans. Giants TV is free. It's on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, as well as the Giants mobile app, which you can use to listen to our program. Big Blue Kickoff Live. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Let's open up the lines. Donnie is in Queens. He gets us going here on BBKL. What's happening, Donnie? Hey, happy Monday. Good game day to you guys. Uh, two quick things, and then I'll, I'll hop off the line and, and listen to your responses. Uh, first, one thing, I, when the Giants play a night game, I want it to be Monday night because I like to spend my Sunday watching the other games. I'm kind of footballed out by Sunday night, so I always prefer Monday to Sunday. Watching the league yesterday, man, there's this some bad teams around the National Football League and some very average to below average quarterback play. Um, well, no tonight, different than in previous years. I would disagree, but we don't have the time to get into that right now. I'll, the quicksand of mediocrity, my friend. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. a week-to-week league. Yeah, and then, you know, for tonight, sticking with the theme of the quarterbacks, to me, Daniel, Daniel's got to be the difference in the game. And that doesn't mean he has to throw 300 yards and four touchdowns, but don't be the quarterback that makes the mistake. Don't fumble on a spot. Don't throw the bad pick. Don't take points off the board. I, I'm pretty confident our defense will be able to minimize the Cowboys' offensive attack enough where if we hit 20 to 23 points, we should be able to win the game. Uh, and, and if you're Daniel Jones and you're, you're looking to be the long-term starter of the New York Giants for any team in the NFL, you got to be able to outduel Cooper Rush on your home field. So let's go, Giants. I'm taking us 23 to 14 tonight. Kayvon gets on the board with his first sack. Have a good day, guys. All right. Appreciate the phone call. I do think it'll be a relatively low-scoring game. We were talking about this last week. 21 points, I think, 
probably should put you in very good position, whichever team could get there, to feel secure that you can win the game. I mean, look at this Dallas defense. They held Cincinnati to 17. They held Tampa Bay to 19. But they've scored 3 and 20, respectively. And then the Giants, we're talking about, they're also hovering around that 20-point barometer based on their first two games, 21 against Tennessee and then 19 against Carolina. And both of these defenses are playing very well. So it would be, to me, it would be a surprising development, Paul, if this does become an offensive shootout, given how well both defenses have performed. Yeah, and, you know, what you were just talking about, I guess, with Todd Archer has now been seconded by Jordan Schultz, who says that Peters is going to be on a snap count playing left guard tonight yep. against the Giants. So um, I think that probably... Not 100%, but probably makes you lean more towards the chalk that says they will try to run the ball. Right? Well, I think also for pass protection purposes, too, you like your chances with Jason Peters. No, he's the more experienced offensive lineman. Farniak's a seventh-round pick, Paul, from 2021. It was his first opportunity last week against the Bengals. He clearly, like any young offensive lineman, had his ups and downs. But, listen, I'm with you. I understand the run emphasis, but I think Peters helps you in terms of pass protection as well to give Cooper Rush some additional time. No? Hmm. You know, he's been a tackle for how many years now since he originally came out of school as a converted tight end. Um, now they're asking him to play guard. I think it's a lot easier for he him. He has some experience, though, at guard, though, in his career. Not much. No, not much. But, I mean, he's gotten reps there, at least. It's not like I, you're throwing him into, you know, the deep side I of the would, ocean here and I telling would him to think, swim. I would think he'd be a lot more comfortable blocking for the run game than he would for the pass game at this point. I would think. But who knows? We'll see. Well, here's he's the a, thing. He's a big guy. He, <laughs> That's not disputed. Well, he's a big gonna, guy. <laughs> I was going to say, if, if there's any concern, it's the fact that how many snaps has he had next to Tyler Smith in a game? And that could perhaps create some miscues because now you're asking Tyler Smith to play next to his third different guard. Mm -hmm. Think about All this, right? All the more reason you'd want to run. Well, true, maybe to alleviate that. But I'm looking at it more from regardless of whether Peters is a veteran or not, the bottom line is Tyler Smith was next to Connor McGovern in the opener, now Farniak, and now Farniak slash Peters. So you're throwing a lot of different personnel at the guard spot next to the young offensive tackle. If anything, that to me would be reason for maybe a little bit of a concern entering this game. Outside you know, of that, listen, I mean, I'd feel good about Peters adjusting at least to guard, though. I think, uh, you know, as, as you said earlier, there, there may be some players here on the Dallas side of things that – the Giants haven't had a real good look at. Uh, at the same time, uh, there's no film on Wink's defense using Ojolari and Thibodeau. And we know that he is an absolute master uh, at, at different types of defenses and different kinds of looks and all kinds of uh, schematics. Um, Dallas, I, I feel bad for Cooper Rush tonight, to be honest, because he's not going to have any idea what the Giants are throwing at him and and he and his offensive linemen are are really going to have a very very hard time looking at this kaleidoscope of a defense, trying to figure out what in the world they're doing, who's coming, when they're coming, how they're coming. It's I I feel that Wink Martindale is going to be the star of tonight's game. I really do. I don't think it's going to be a player. I think it's going to be Wink Martindale. He will be tonight's MVP and why the Giants will win. It's hard to pick up trends at this point since both games have been very different. I was listening to 
some of the Cowboys players speak to the media. They mentioned they went back and they looked clearly at their most recent matchup against the Baltimore Ravens just for some indications of what Wink may run. But once again, it's completely different personnel. He's not bringing over all of the Ravens players that he's had, and he's clearly using some of these guys very differently because I don't know if I was talking to you, Paul, but I had mentioned that Baker Mayfield, the week of the Giants game leading in, not after the game, had mentioned mm-hmm. that yes. he noticed they weren't at the trust level from what he saw on defense to where Wink was in Baltimore, where they were running Baltimore, but they weren't running it to the same degree that the Ravens did. And I thought Baker, once again, it was an insightful point to say he didn't think Wink trusted everybody at that same degree where he feels he can employ the entire playbook. Now, as the weeks progress, clearly Wink is going to establish that. But now that you're adding two new players in Thibodeau and O'Jolari, more of a reason you're not going to all of a sudden give the entire playbook to the team and say, hey, guys, go out there and run it. It's going to be a little bit of a dummy-down version, for the lack of a better phrase, I would say. I'm sure Wink will probably lean a little bit more on O'Jolari and Thibodeau to get some of the heat without necessarily having to scheme it up. I think he will ask those guys, do what you do best, and maybe we can pull back on a little bit of the scheming because we know you can do what you need to do. I mean, I saw this number from the the next-gen stats people that the Giants' blitz rate right now is 38%, which is fifth highest in the league, which, you know, is a little bit more than what Wink did last year at Baltimore, but a little bit less than what he did back in 18 and a lot less based on what he did in 19 and 20. The problem with with the pressure to this point, and it's been, there's two Achilles on the Giants team right now that, that in my opinion, that need to pick up their game. The interior offensive line had a solid week one, but a subpar week two. And the pass rush in both of these games has not been good enough. Now, his defensive scheming has been outstanding but if you actually look at the effective pressures the Giants are like in the bottom third of the league in pressuring the quarterback even though they're fifth in the NFL in sending extra pressure and that's not good it's in fact it's very bad yeah well it's about finishing that's you know exactly and and he just got himself two finishers tonight 201-939-4513. That is the telephone number. Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino with you here. Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, setting the stage for tonight's Monday night game between both division rivals to wrap up week three in the NFL. Allen is in D.C. joining us here. What's happening, Allen? Hey, what's going on, guys? You know, it's um, it's football Monday. It's one of my favorite, favorite times in of the year and we're going against America's team, you know, so you know, I don't like I don't like the fact that, you know, um everybody makes a big deal about the Cowboys and uh, to me frankly they're not they haven't really done much other than, you know, make a couple of playoff appearances. But uh this is this is a rivalry that, you know, they've had They've had our number quite a bit, and uh, you know I, I understand how, how uh, a lot of Cowboy fans are 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 already predicting this this game uh, for them. But I think it all depends uh, with Saquon Barkley. I think this is his contract year. This is a year where he has to show 
just like how he had that, that game at the, the beginning of, of the season, he's got to be that Saquon Barkley for us to win. If we're, and obviously, you know, Daniel Jones is, is progressing, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very nervous with his uh, turnover, you know, turnover um, uh, abilities that he's been he's been showing. I know it's gotten better in, in recent in recent seasons, but like the, the errors are there. Like you could see. You know when he he makes a mistake and 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 it, and it feels like those mistakes are just at the worst times. Uh, but I, I get I get that's how a lot of people feel about their teams. But we are the New York Football Giants. We need to we need to play like the New York Football Giants to win this game. We need to route, run the ball through Saquon and we need to take take America's team down a notch. And that's all I got for today, guys. All right, Alan. Well, Barkley certainly was very productive in the second half against Tennessee. The running game got better in the second half against Carolina. But we haven't necessarily seen a complete game, I would argue, Paul, on the ground yet, whether Barkley's involved or anybody else. So you want to see, can you start a game strong on the ground? Can you carry it through for four quarters? Both of these run defenses are pretty much identical on the season. They're both middle of the pack. 18th is where the Giants rank. 19th is where the Cowboys rank. They've got a difference of a yard but we know both defensive fronts have played relatively well. The Giants did good against Derrick Henry outside of that 18-yard run, and then Chris McCaffrey had the 45-yard run. Outside of that, there weren't a lot of back-breaking runs. And then if you look at Dallas, Leonard Fournette had some success in Week 1. Joe Mixon wasn't a huge factor in Week 2. So, you know, once again, I think the matchup could come down to, it may not be the big run, it may come down to, you know, who could put together those lengthy, methodical drives and finish in the red zone with the complement of that rushing attack. That may be the difference, because if we're talking about 21 points being the target, and you have three decent drives, are you settling for field goals, or are you punching it in for a touchdown? How you run the ball inside the 20 could very well be that difference maker. I agree with you, Lance. I don't think there's any doubt in my mind about this. Uh, it's it's a war of the trenches, and the team that wins the war of the trenches is going to win in red zone efficiency, and that will ultimately lead to the victor in the game. And I'm glad you brought up red zone efficiency. You could argue week one, it was good. Week two, I would say the Giants took a hit in the red zone, Paul. Mm -hmm. They were two of three in the first week, and they struggled last week. Because remember, Carolina gave the Giants fantastic field position early in the game, <laughs> right? Think? One at the Carolina 22, the other one at the Carolina 40. You settled for six points. That's now, not acceptable. Of course. And in a game like this, if we're talking about grind it out, muddy, which is the term you used, you've got to turn that great field position into a touchdown. And that, to me, is something that I don't think we've seen consistently yet out of the Giants. Let's head back to the lines. Don is in Texas joining us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Don? Hey, P-Dot. Hey, Lance. Long time no talk. Hi. P-Dot, you are like Hollywood, man. I was at the training camp in August when you were doing your podcast with Carl Banks, and I was trying to get to you, and I was like, forget this, man. I just wanted to say hi to you and try to officially meet you, but it was pretty tough that day. With I'm sorry. Maybe next time. We'll it's be out cool, there again next camp, I promise you. <laughs> yeah, hopefully I run into you in Thanksgiving. I got tickets to the game, Giants-Cowboys. Oh, wow. Hopefully I run into you guys. All right, so I just I had a quick question. I don't. Hopefully you guys could uh, answer this for me. I'm trying, I think we all could agree that the Giants have to run the ball to be successful against this Cowboys defense. I think we all come to that agreement. But 
I think the Giants should take a page out of the 49ers' playbook, what they did to them last year in the playoffs, a lot of zone blocking, confusing that front seven. The question I got for you, and I'll take my answer off the air, guys, is how does a team and a coaching staff decipher when to run a mano-a-mano offensive line run blocking versus a zone blocking against certain teams? I'll take your answer off the air, guys, and keep up the good work. All right, Don. Appreciate the phone call. Go ahead, Paul. Well, you see... The truth of the matter is, it depends on what your philosophy is. Do you want the other team to adjust to you, or are you going to adjust to the other team? Honestly, I'm not, I'm not trying to be funny, okay? You have your core beliefs about what you want to do, right? And we're going to run this, we're going to run that, we're going to run the other thing. And then you sit down and you say, okay, are we good enough with these core things that we run that we're going to be able to effectively move the ball and be successful with our core things against what they do. If you say no, that what our core stuff is is not good enough and we're not, we're not that efficient at it yet, now you start picking apart the other team and say, hmm, where are their soft spots? Let's see if we can attack their soft spots because our strongest points aren't good enough to get the job on, done on their own. And that's, that's kind of the mentality that I take. There are others who will go right into a game and say, we just want to attack the soft spots on the other team. I don't look at it that way. I'm, I'm from the other school that says, uh, if I can impose my will and just do what I want to do well, I'm going to do it. I don't know if that really answers the question, but it's, it's, it's a bigger picture philosophical approach that I'm giving you here. Well, my response to the last caller is I don't think the Niners are a good example as a parallel to the Giants because San Francisco has a very unique run-blocking scheme, and that's been a big part of their identity since Kyle Shanahan took over, right? So if you're saying, well, the Giants should do something similar to that, you're not going to, in the span of one week, and I think this is what perhaps you were alluding to, Paul, you're not going to now completely change your identity and ask your players to run something that you didn't have built into your system. No, no, you can't do that. No, of course not. So I don't think... Listen, you could look at that film as perhaps a taste of what worked effectively, but you're still going to run something within the confines of your own offense. Maybe you'll fine-tune it, you'll tweak it. You're not going to adopt San Francisco's game plan. It's just it's not practical, considering, Agreed. A, the Giants don't have the Niners' offensive personnel, and once again, they're not familiar with that scheme. So I don't think that's the best and ideal recommendation. I think it's important that... You do what works and suits you best. And if you need to prioritize bringing in some additional help to help block a Micah Parsons or a Demarcus Lawrence, those damaging guys, that's what you need to do. And on that topic, by the way, it's funny because we got a call earlier about Saquon Barkley's The X Factor. I would go so far to say that I don't know if Saquon the runner is the X Factor, Paul. I think Saquon the pass protector mm-hmm. is the X Factor in tonight's game because go back and watch what Micah Parsons does and how they move him around. Joe Mixon missed a number of assignments in terms of helping the offensive lineman out, and then all of a sudden he went to the wrong side, and Michael Parsons had a free path to Joe Burrow. How Barkley navigates today's game, and you know even Matt Breed, if you want to throw them in, I think that element of the Giants' offense may be the crucial factor here as an extension to the offensive line because Quinn is going to play mind games with Michael Parsons to try to get the better of the Giants, and... Dallas's front compared to the Giants' interior, I'll take the Cowboys 
right now. I think they have a significant edge based on track record over the first two games. Doesn't mean the Giants can't overcome it, but I think that's where Barkley and Breida come into play. So that, to me, is the X factor for the Giants tonight. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Yeah, I think that's certainly one of the under-the-radar factors. Now, I'll give, you, I'll give you a couple of funny numbers, though, Lance. And, you know, because Parsons has the ability to play all over the defense— it's it's kind of a, a a guessing game. Is he going to play more on the edge tonight, which is where he's been most effective, or is he going to play more on the inside? Now, why do I raise this issue? I was going to save this to the pregame show tonight, but the truth is we don't have a lot of time to analyze this stuff, so it's probably better I, I put it out there now. I know some of the writers will probably want to steal it. Um, <laughs> well, Michael, something tells me they're going to get in their writing before the pregame anyway, but okay. go ahead. So yes. Micah Parsons has four sacks this year, okay? I went back and I looked at the all 22 of both Cowboys games. And three of his four sacks, he was on the edge against the left tackle. One of his four sacks, he was on the edge against the right tackle. He has yet to achieve a sack by coming up through the middle. And in fact, on all four of those sacks... He was singled up one-on-one against an unathletic tackle who was beaten by speed. So I called up some three of my very close football people uh, who are not related to this organization, and I said, you know, shame on the offensive coordinator on both of these instances who allowed Parsons to be one-on-one on the edge against an unathletic tackle where we know his speed is going to beat them. And their response was, you're absolutely right. Shame on both of those offensive coordinators because Parsons is good enough that you don't need to do that unless you want to get yourself injured, uh, hurt, or busted a play. So it seems to me that the offensive coordinators of both Tampa and Cincinnati failed miserably by not properly accounting for Parsons. Now, he played two games against the Giants last year, 119 snaps, primarily as an inside linebacker. How many sacks do you think he had, Lance? Well, he has no sacks against the Giants. In his That's career. correct. Yeah. 119 snaps, seven solo tackles, three assists, Zero sacks. Excuse me if I don't shake at the knees over this linebacker tonight. Because no, I'm not. Well, I mean, I'm not telling you to do that. It's just that that doesn't mean Dan Quinn's going to utilize him like that in this well, year's matchup. That's yeah, all. it's going to be very interesting because I happen to agree with you that the interior of the Giants' offensive line would be the place that I think he probably should attack. And that's the way they played Parsons last year, primarily on the inside. And, in fact, he did a lot of uh, coverage, and he did a lot of roaming behind the line. Um, And that's the way they played the Giants with him twice last year. They barely put him on the edge. And now this year, they've been putting him on the edge a lot, and one-on-one against tackles, he's, he's been too quick for them. So what I like to say about, you know, really good players like Parsons, 
And by the way, he hasn't had to use his power to, to get any of these sacks. He strictly outspeeded people. What I like to say about really, really good players, they force you to make adjustments. Great players like Lawrence Taylor beat your adjustments. They beat double teams. They beat triple teams. They beat one plus a chip. Well, Parsons hasn't had to face that yet. I don't know why, but in these first two games, offensive coordinators have done a miserable job of paying extra attention to him, and they've made his life extremely easy. I don't think the Giants are that naive. I think they will neutralize him tonight. I think they're smart enough to do it. I think they want to do it, and I think they will do it. The other thing that I'd be interested to note, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, whether or not even somebody effectively keeps this statistic, is even on a play where Parsons doesn't get a sack, what he does to then create an opportunity for somebody else. Because remember, Cowboys have eight sacks. He has half of them. But you've had other guys be able to finish, and what Parsons did and where he lined up on those other sacks. That would be another interesting yeah. observation. He did have seven pressures by himself last week. And actually, in the two yep. games against the Giants last year, he had a combined four quarterback hits. So I'm not saying yep. that you know he's irrelevant, but that's ridiculous. He's a very good player. And if you don't pay him special mind... He can really, really hurt you a lot. He can wreck a game, sure. But, but, okay, before we start talking about the jacket in Canton, okay, show me the guy who can beat the one plus. Show me a guy who can beat the double team. Show me the guy who commands a triple team like Lawrence Taylor did. You know, like Belichick said, we're talking about LT now. And I'm, I'm just so tired of the hype around Micah Parsons being the next LT. That's such a joke. Well, let let him have a career first before we get to that conversation. Let's see him. Let's see him beat a double team. Seasons in the NFL. Let's well, see him beat think, a double team first. Well, How about that? Tells me, that's not the only indication, though, Paul, about whether or not he'll warrant consideration for Canton. I know. I know. Me, okay. I, mean, I know. You're using criteria that is. I mean, there are a lot of great defensive yes, linemen that struggle are. with double teams too. Come it, on. It, it, simply mean, put, I just I I'm always the anti-hype machine. I don't no. like hype to get out of control. No, and, and I get I, that. You know, I saw Lawrence go up against a guard tackle double team and still win. I, I haven't seen Micah Parsons face a guard tackle double team yet. Well, something tells me I don't think teams are treating Micah Parsons like Lawrence Taylor just yet. That's number one. And number two, the problem is, is that when a guy has a very impressive rookie campaign, the comparisons immediately happen. Football's no different than other sports, and they get out of control. It's possible Micah Parsons does have a Hall of Fame career. I don't think that that's a stretch. It's just let him have a career first before we put him Absolutely. up against some of the other great defensive There you line. go. That, to me, I think is a more than suitable conversation I agree. that could be had. I right, agree. Let's head back to the line. Scott is in New Mexico. He joins us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, Scott? Hi. Uh, all you have to have seen is uh, Brian Dable's press conference and when somebody asked him a question about Micah Parsons, the look on his face told it all. Uh, and Well, worst, he says he's a fun guy to watch was... when you don't have to play against him. That was Brian Dable's quote, <laughs> right. which I think a lot of people but, around the league would agree. Yeah, but uh, he said he's a problem, and he is. And no matter how you want to cut it, that's going to be a problem tonight. But that's not what I wanted to talk about. Uh, first of all, just a passing comment on Kadarius Tony. 
if anyone's surprised, you just have to go back to his college days. And he had injuries galore back in his college days as well. So he has a litany of injuries dating back to 2017. And so I'm not surprised at any injury scenario with Kadarius Tony. I always get the impression that he's just not working at it. That, but that's my personal thing. I, I reviewed this once with you, Paul. Uh, I just think he's not committed to playing football for the New York Giants. That's my personal opinion. And his injuries history is well noted. I mean, if I went through the litany of all the injuries he had with the Giants, it's it's kind of a, a who's who of injuries. But that well, you can that, have that opinion, Scott, but if you talk to the Giants medical staff and do you know or not know if they're the ones who shut him down? I, I don't. And, that, and that's, that's all I'm asking. You have, you have to take that into account. I, I, I agree. I'm not, not arguing the point, but as I said, looking at his injury history going back with the Giants alone uh, is uh, quite extensive. But in any event, that was the only comment I wanted to make on him. Tonight, what I was first of all, I wanted to know if you knew who the starting wide receivers for the Giants are going to be. Well, I mean, it depends on the wide receiver sets that they're running. I mean, what do you mean? Like, right. who's going to play the most of the snaps? Because that's how I'd word the question. Remember, okay. who starts is simply who's on the field for the first play of the game. First, Starting right. stats are the most over-dramatic <laughs> stats that people right. get caught up. If you're on the field for the yes. first play, you get a start. After that, you may be taken off the field. You still get a start. Who cares who starts? Lance, that's right. your turn to uh, go against crazy. the hype I'm machine. No, I'm not. Scott, I'm not going after you. I just... I don't understand why people get so caught up in starts. It's snap count. Tell me right. how much you played right. over the course of the game, not whether you I, I won the field for the first you, play. But there's a reason yeah. why I'm asking, and that's okay. why I, mm -hmm. I was just curious. Uh, what I think is for tonight, I'm not worried. I'm, I'm on Paul's side in regards to Wink coming up with a plan defensively, no matter who's on, on the field. I think he's, as I said in the past, I think he's just sensational as a defensive coordinator. So I think he'll come up with a decent plan. So I have confidence that he'll be able to neutralize a lot. And Cooper Rush, remember, for all uh, everybody's talking about, he's only had, what, two or three starts in his career. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm not really worried about that. I'm looking at the offensive side of the Giants, and I want to get your opinions. I look at it a little differently for tonight's game. Uh, I would like to see... Instead of because I feel the Dallas Cowboys are going to key on so Juan Barkley in the backfield because they know that's where the Giants have made their money. So, from my perspective, would, do you think they're going to actually make Saquon more of a receiver than a running back, and that might be the X factor, and then have Daniel Jones run a little bit more, uh, to, and then maybe have Breeder or someone else in the backfield. So they actually have Barkley either running screens or actually uh, as a receiver, which takes some pressure, and he has to be covered by either Parsons or a uh, safety, which allows some of the receivers to hopefully get open. I think it's actually going to be different than everybody says. I think, Paul, you alluded to it a little bit. It's actually go uh, a game where the Giants have to go down the field passing-wise to really uh, firm up and get the points that they're going to need rather than uh, the long drives that I think you two were talking about, you know, the 14 or 15-yard drive, 15-play uh, drives. Yeah, they'll but need some big hits. I want to get assessment of that. I agree with you. They're going to need some big hits tonight. And I think, I think believe it or not, I think Galladay's going to come up with a couple. Okay. How about that? How about him as an X-Factor, too? 
Right. And I think Bellinger has to get more involved on the passing side as well. As, uh, he's a good blocker, but I, uh, my son knows the co- head coach at San Diego State, and they talked about him quite a bit. And they said he really is a good pass receiver. They didn't use him at San Diego State that They ran the ball, yep. Right. So I'm just wondering, do you think that having Bellinger more in a passing mode takes some of the pressure then off, and then Dallas has to cover him? Uh, And that will allow Daniel Jones to do a couple more things. And I think Daniel Jones is going to have to run more. So I don't think they're going to, because of the fact that they have to key on Saquon Barkley running-wise, and I think Dallas is going to do that. They're going to make sure that he doesn't burn them. Uh, and so they'll either stack the box or they're going to have you know seven guys there or whatever and make sure he doesn't hurt them. So by making him a receiver, is that an X factor? I want to get your assessment of that and see if uh, that might be one way to neutralize the Dallas defense a little bit. Well, Dallas did a really good job against Cincinnati's high-octane offense and appreciate the phone call, Scott. So I would agree with you. I mean, you need explosive plays. Remember, the Giants scored three touchdowns against Tennessee. They had an explosive play on each drive. I'm not saying that you need to go 15 plays every drive. What I was saying is, is that a difference could be whether you run the ball effectively inside the 20 mm-hmm. because we were talking about their red zone struggles. I wasn't yes. saying that the Giants, every single drive needs to be a lengthy drive. Of course, in an ideal world, you want an explosive play on every drive, and maybe you only have to have a six-play drive as opposed to double that. But you need an explosive play to me, Paul, no matter what opponent you're going up against because we just saw how much more of a struggle it was to put points on the board against Carolina in comparison to Tennessee in the second half. So that, to me, it goes without saying. But as far as the point about getting Saquon out as a receiver, yeah, it doesn't hurt. You want to get Saquon out in open space. All I'm saying is I think the Cowboys through the first two weeks have proven based on the Bucks personnel and the Bengals personnel, and those are two teams, forget the quarterbacks, two teams that have weapons around the quarterback that could do damage out in open space. And I thought Dallas held its own. So I don't know how much Barkley as an X-factor, as a receiver is going to be in comparison to their focus of him as a runner. I think they're well aware of what he could do. Remember, you know, they've gone up against Barkley a few times in the division. I don't think he would be somebody that would surprise them. If anything, I think it would be somebody maybe they haven't seen thus far within this offense. You know, Lance, I think ultimately, and and I do think, you know, I, I've said it before and I'll, I'll say it again, I think Week Martindale is going to be the MVP tonight and they'll win the game. But I do think... What, what it will come down to is, yes, the Giants will need to hit a few big plays to be able to shorten the field a little bit. But I think what's going to happen is Wiggs' defense is going to shorten the field for the offense, and that's how they will win this game. It will either be through sacks, sacks, turnovers, a three and out for Dallas inside its own 10-yard line where the Giants take over somewhere near midfield. I think the Giants' defense, Wings' defense, is going to set the Giants up on enough of short field opportunities. And maybe it's only going to take two or three of those, or maybe even one, to be the difference in the game. But I ultimately think that's how the Giants will win the game, which is why I'm picking Wink as the MVP and not a player, because I believe it will be a short field that wins this game for the Giants. Just to give you an idea, longest pass play for the Bengals last week was 19 yards by T. Higgins. Longest run play was actually by Joe Burrow for 12. 
Joe Mixon's longest run was 10, and he only had 57 yards. Just to give you an idea of what I was talking about with respect yeah. to explosive plays. Now, Tampa Bay, once again, Leonard Fournette did have success. He ran for 127 yards. His longest run, though, was 17, and then they had a few plays through the air. Julio Jones had a 48-yard grab. That was a beautiful catch by him down the right sideline. And then they had two other 20-plus-yard passes. So Tampa Bay had three. Cincinnati had none that got to the 20-yard mm -hmm. range. And then Tampa Bay, even though they had success on the ground, it came through volume of runs as opposed to one big run. So I only bring that up because if you're banking on explosive plays being the difference, Dallas defense has been pretty effective. That's why, to me, I'm with you, Paul. I think if your defense is going to maybe change field position, it's probably going to come through a takeaway maybe more so than multiple explosive plays on offense over the course of the game. Yeah, no, I, I concur with that. And what was expressed to me is that the Giants should be able to do what Tampa did with their running attack. I was told the Giants should not have a problem, you know, running 120, 130 yards in this game. Uh, they, uh, they could take a lot of things that the Buccaneers used in that ground attack that day and implement them tonight. And as you said, they did have three somewhat explosive plays in that game, primarily because, you know, they were doing so much on the ground. The and Giants sure, open things up. Yeah. The Giants will need to do that to be able to move the ball between the 30s and, and try to help out field position and maybe get a long field goal. But ultimately, again, I go back to... The defense will create a short field that's going to be the difference in this game. And remember, they didn't run the ball effectively against Carolina in the first half, so the Correct. Panthers weren't biting on anything. And that's even right. in the second half, while the run game picked up, it still wasn't 30-yard runs or 60-some-yard runs. It was a runs. pounding run game. Exactly. So that's a difference maker, meaning if it's more of that, Dallas is not going to then all of a sudden creep up and bring more guys into the box. Those developments played a big role in terms of what we saw in Tennessee versus what we saw against Carolina. And you Carolina. have to pound guys like Lawrence and Parsons if you're going to take the teeth out of their pass rush. Yeah, you wear them down. Sure. Very, very you know important, especially if Parsons has been sick all week. You want to make that guy throw up at halftime. And Dorrance Armstrong, they have a variety of guys. They mix and match defensive tackles. It's really, it's a group effort. Parsons is your attention seeker, but it's the other guys too. Yep. It's been more of a spread the wealth type of mentality. All right, let's try to squeeze in one more call before we wrap up. Coach Marvin's in Delaware. He joins us. What's happening, Coach Marvin? How you doing, Lance? Paul. What's up, Coach? Doing good. What's on your mind? How you doing? Just call. I know we don't have a lot of time, but I uh, was listening to uh, the game plan a lot of people's having. Uh, Lance was right about the receiver. It doesn't matter. Those are guys I usually sub in and out anyway, so it doesn't matter who starts at wide receiver, that type of position. But uh, tonight, well, um, it, this, this is going to be a tough game. This is going to be a game to really see where we are, uh, measure ourselves, Um because, you know, the last two games were tough games. We had to fight back in those games. And some things happened in those games that went our way. And uh, so, you know, sometimes you're relying on the other team to make mistakes. And I think what they're going to have to do defensively, uh, countering what Paul was saying, they're gonna, I, I feel they're going to have to attack uh, Cooper Rush. They're going to have to get, they're gonna have to speed up this process as far as um, reading coverage, uh, going through his progression, you got to speed that up because he hasn't played that much as a starter. So I would think, for me, I don't know, if I'm not, I'm not the Giants, but for me, I speed that process 
on him. And um, I, I try to make him think a lot more of what we're doing and where we're coming from to throw them off balance a little bit. So, you know what, well, Coach Baker? Yeah. You know what, Coach? I don't even think it's yeah. about getting Cooper Rush to speed up his release as much as it is making him confused so that he sees something that he doesn't really see and makes mistakes. I'm not so much after messing up his timing because he does get rid of the ball quick. In fact, according to to next-gen stats, he's got the the quickest time to throw the ball uh, of any quarterback this year. So I'm not after his timing being off as much as I am him making mistakes because he sees or doesn't see what's really happening to him. And that's more of a reason why I think you want him in a lot of third and longs, which means the early downs, stopping the run and keeping Pollard out in open space could then help your cause about having some favorable rushing, passing down situations to make him feel uncomfortable. Right. And and that's all work hand in hand, what I'm saying. It's pretty much the same as what you're saying. I'm just saying it may be a little different. Um, I'm speeding him up because I'm speeding him up because he's worried about what's coming. And sometimes that's where they're thinking a little too much. We kind of like, yes, and, you know, we both are saying somewhat the same thing. Um, defense, offensively, I, I think that Dallas is, is a very talented team. For people to say that this is a game we are going to win, or this, this is, this is going to be a defense that's going to be really attack, um, attacking us all night. Um, but I'm with, I'm kind of with Paul and yourself where you're going to attack the strong part of their defense, which is Parsons. And I run at it. And, and, and I would do a lot of uh, 12 personnel where we go one back, two tight ends. And so no matter which side he goes to, I have a tight end on that side. I would do a little bit of that. Um, so, uh, depending if he's coming, a lot of times when he's on that um, linebacker spot on the uh, outside, he's normally coming, and I would throw behind them. It's got to be stuff that's quick behind them. Um, it, I, I feel if they're in zones and playing that behind them, I, I flood that zone over. I move a guy in motion to that side, and I flood them out that way to force them to use him as a um, get more into the passing lane rather than rushing. But I would run at him. You're going to have to run at him. You can't keep running away from him. You're going to have to face him and, and run it, run at him. So that, that, that's a game plan I would probably have going into a game like this. Slow it down. Because um, it, it, it's going to be a slow-down game anyway. I don't think a lot of points are going to be scored tonight at all. Sure. Well, I think a lot of us um, certainly feel the same way, Coach. And appreciate the phone call. Thanks for Give it us a ring here on Big Blue Kickoff Live as it is a Monday night affair between the Cowboys and the Giants. Kickoff 8.15. Our pregame show starts at 6.45 p.m. You can listen on WFAN, Giants.com, as well as Sirius XM Channel 823. That is the Giants channel on the Sirius XM platform that's new this season. They have a Sirius XM channel dedicated to each and every NFL squad and we will be out at the MetLife gate on the MetLife central stage for the pregame show this evening that is going to wrap things up for us here on this Monday edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live appreciate everybody tuning in we'll be back up and running again tomorrow at 12 30 p.m. Eastern today's episode part of the Giants platforms everywhere and Giants.com slash podcasts for Paul Dottino I'm Lance Meadow enjoy the game tonight and we'll speak to you on Tuesday right here on Big Blue Kickoff Live have a good one 
you wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top 10 for immersive art that's like. Whoa. And. Hmm. Not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.